last night I went to bed believing I was supposed to preach on the Word of God in relationship to the knowledge of God. And I told Paul, I said, I just don't, don't something wrong, something wrong, something I'm right. I got to hear God better or something. But he was just, this morning I wake up and all of a sudden he says, no, you're going to speak on Galatians 2.20. And uh, because, you know, the Christian life, there's, certain, there's few passages of Scripture in the Bible that just encapsulate everything. Well, this is one of them. All the Christian life. And in fact, one of the greatest two, you know, one of the greatest hindrances to the Christian life and also marriage and many different facets of it is self. And in this passage involves freedom from self in area two areas, and I'll show you here in a second. One is the past, and the other is dependency on self. And you remember a few years ago, when I, or a year or so ago, when I preached on pride and humility. And you remember what we said humility was, is it's got to do with two things, dependency and perspective. One, being totally dependent upon God and properly seeing yourself in relationship to God and others. Well, yeah, I just want to present to you that self is one of the biggest enemies to the gospel. In this passage, what God has been showing me that self creeps in so quick, easy. It's sort of like uh, next thing you know, self has dominated your thinking and you don't even know you're overwhelmed and overcome. And when I woke up this morning, the Lord said, Galatians 2.20, and here's the things that the Lord shared, put them to speak. I don't have PowerPoint because at 4 o'clock this morning, 4.30 or whenever it was I got up, these are the things that came out of this. I broke it down. It's broken down into six different places. In fact, it involves the Christian life. And we'll look at those things, each one of them, each facet of it. But notice the first statement there in, in Galatians 2.20 about the gospel. For, for I have been crucified with Christ. Period. Stop. I have been crucified with Christ. Y'all, the Many times in many circles you see where people, I've got to die, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. But y'all, if you'll notice the verb tense on that, have been crucified, it's a perfect tense verb and meaning the, the, that the event was done in past time and the results of it exist to the future. There is nothing that we can add to what Jesus did on the cross. That when I was, when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior and identified with this death, burial, and resurrection through water baptism, I have been crucified, it's finished, it's past tense, that's it. There's no, I don't have to die again. Now, there is certain ways that things, the reality of that death is brought into our lives, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, but this thing about that, have been crucified, finished, finished. Now think about the reality of this, what is you're crucified to? Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 says, I will not boast in anything but in the cross where I have been crucified to the world and the world to me. Paul makes this statement. Y'all, one of the biggest hindrances to us, to God, is the world, the drag of the world. God is headed one way and, and the world's headed another. And we're trying to come to God and the drag of the world slows us down and hinders us, hinders us like a, the wind would be on an airplane in face of it. Or like in water, as you're trying to swim against it, the drag of it would hinder you. It's so easy as the flow of the world is going one way to just get in the flow of it and go with it. 
And, and it takes the cross, the power of the cross, to set us free. Where Paul says, I have been crucified to the world and the world to me. In other words, the world's hold on me is broken at the cross. And the other cool thing is, my wants, my desires, and this is what we were singing today. It's kind of interesting you come up with that song, I Surrender, because the reality is, y'all, uh, me to the world, or the world to me. I can't remember which way it goes. <laughs> but literally what will happen is the world has things on holding in us, and then we got things in the world we're holding on to. So the cross breaks it. And what today, what we were doing, I surrender, what we were doing is releasing the things that we would hold on in the world. And here, guess what? We're trying to go with God this way, and the world's going this way, and we're going like this, and you feel like you're dragging. And you feel like you're being stretched. That's why you're holding on to the world. There's facets of the world. But the cross, I have been crucified with Christ. The world has been crucified to me. Another reality of this is in Romans 6, 6. I like this. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. I don't have the PowerPoint like I said earlier. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with. The world Greek word therefore done away with does not mean done away like it passes away, but it literally means to be rendered powerless. In other words, I have been crucified. The body of sin has, I mean, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. In other words, the old identities are history. This is really what's exciting to me about the Regen program. You know, there's some Regen programs or, or uh, drug and alcohol programs that deal with, you know, alcohol and drugs. And when they're confessions, when they start out, you know, uh, my name's Joe Blow and I'm an alcoholic. Well, that's a confession of untruth. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified knowing this, our old self was crucified with him. Guess what? The old's gone. My old identity, the old Rick Sizemore, no longer lives. The old Brandon Parson, he ain't there. He's been floated down some creek. <laughs> it's history. It's history. You know, the old self's crucified. And to declare that I have been crucified, my old identity is no longer there. My ties of the world are no longer there. You know, it sets me free. How about this? Galatians 5.24, where it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, this is a hardcore statement, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. An interesting thing. The word there for desire is the Greek word for lust. The word passion there is the word that literally means sufferings. And see, one of the most crucial things that for us is that is we do a lot of ministry. And in fact, I, I need to make this statement. Last week, uh, put a commercial in here, pause this, and let me say this. Last week, I, I just need to ask y'all's forgiveness on something. I shared a couple of illustrations that were, that were inappropriate for the setting in which I had. And I just really want to ask y'all's forgiveness in that. Because the, the things that happened were true and they're real. And, and, but there's, you know, when we have children here, I don't, we want, this is want to be a safe place. We want people to have hope that they can get out of hardcore stuff the same place we don't want to put bondages on them. So I really ask y'all to forgive me for that. And uh, so I'm learning in this process of learning how to preach and declare the gospel. So I just wanted to ask y'all forgiveness on that. I just shared some hardcore testimonies last week. And, uh, but anyway, and in, in that place of dealing with abuse or alcoholism or uh, the, the effects of it all around, the interesting thing about this word in 524, crucified the flesh with its passions. That Greek word literally means sufferings. See, what we'll have a tendency to do 
is that what Satan wants to do is identify ourselves according to the past sufferings. Oh, abused. And we, we deal with people a lot of times getting them, and all they want to do is see themselves as a victim. I think Mark preached about that one time. About a victim mentality and what those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. That's one thing. I have been crucified. The, the, the abuse is no longer there. Jesus bore it on the cross. That's the exciting thing. Isaiah 50, 53, 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. Hebrew word there for sorrows, mental anguish. Part of the work on the cross. Jesus bore the sorrows. So when I have been crucified with Christ, not only my ties of the world, my former identities of, you know, mistakes and failures, but also the sufferings that you or I would encounter, Jesus carried on the cross. And you can come across new creation, free. And that's the whole desire to minister to people. You know, this last week, it amazed me. We were with, the, we were with middle schoolers. And y'all, I mean... The pain and the sorrow of 12 to 14-year-olds are encountering this. Was I was there on the first night of it, Monday night. I looked over there, there's, you know, and, and I looked out over the crowd, and I'm going, oh, this is a, looks like a good basic church group. And then we started ministering to them, and we're going, whoa. The things that was going on and being dealt with was serious. I mean, serious stuff. And what Jesus was doing was setting kids free from the bondages of past sufferings. That is cool. There's one young girl, and I, I hesitate in bringing this up, but six years old, at home with her mother. At home with her mother, her mother was a little sick, and six-year-old, dad's off at work, and that's a paraphrase how I remember it. Six years old, her mother dies during the day. The little girl didn't know, didn't know what was going on, just knew that her mom was sick, and her mom wasn't responsive all day long. She sits there with her mother dead, and all the things surrounding that. Dad comes home, little girl goes, Mom, you need to go check on, I mean, Dad, you need to go check on Mom. I don't think she feels well. Dad goes in there. Dad screams, hollers. The little girl comes find out her mom's been dead all day, and the little girl had to deal and carry the trauma of that suffering. But you know the cool thing was we saw? Um, I don't know who was with me. Danielle was one, and who was the other one? Ministered to this little girl to see her totally set free of that suffering of the past. Where Satan was wanting her to drag that around the rest of her life and to see her go from literally a demonic manifestation of death to see her laughing with sheer joy in the presence of her father in a safe place. That's how, what it means. I have been crucified with Christ. That's part of it. And the application in this, y'all, is for you and I to come to the conclusion. What is Romans 6, 11, and 12 says, Consider yourself dead to sin. See, the reality is I have been done. The results of it have been done in past time. It's been done when you've accepted Jesus and identified, like I said earlier, it's done. But why? You may go, why am I struggling? Well, what does Romans 6, 11, and 12 say? It says, Consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Consider yourself dead. Greek word logizomai. In, any any intern would say, oh, I've heard that word many times before. Legizomai is a mathematical term, meaning to come to the conclusion of two plus two equals four. 
4 is the legizomai of 2 plus 2. Consider yourself dead. In other words, come to the conclusion in your heart that you're already really dead. It's, the example of it is, is uh, somebody, if many of you know anybody that's had a, a limb cut off? You know, yeah. It's somebody, an arm or a leg. And there was a guy named Jay Dravecki who I'd read in his testimony, a baseball player with the San Francisco Giants back in the 80s. I believe it was 80s or 90s. He left-handed, great guy, awesome man of God. But uh, in his pitching arm, he developed cancer. And in fact, one game, his arm, during the pitching, when he's pitching, his arm broke, and it was very traumatic in the, the event that occurred. So they had to amputate his arm, and he said one of the hardest things he had to deal with was the pain in the arm that was no longer there. In fact, I heard testimonies of people who had prosthetic legs, you know, plastic legs, taking clothes hangers and scratching a leg that's, <laughs> that's uh, not theirs. What is that? What it is? You'll see it in your heart, your subconscious. When something can be cut off, what will happen is your subconscious does not, your heart does not yet come to the conclusion that the, that the limb or, is there or not. It's not there. Same thing with us. But the reality of it happens in the spiritual realm. We have been crucified with Christ, but what will happen is we do not yet come to a conclusion we're dead to sin. So our place is to come into agreement with what God, ha what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Finish. Draw a line and go, that ain't me. Mark, that ain't you. Things that happened in the past. Right? Aaron? Jerry? That ain't Jerry. I ain't the same Jerry. You're right. That Jerry's dead. So, 6, 11, 12. Consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ. Consider yourself alive to God. Remember that, and we'll talk about that later. To God, Jesus Christ, Lord. And then that's where it goes, 6, 12, it says, where it says, uh, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you would obey its lust. In other words, the lust will try to drag you back. So anyway, first principle. Past is crucified. Ah, then there's the next one. This one is the deadly one for the Christian. Oh, we get saved by grace. In fact, Tulio was preaching, I mean preaching, he was preaching this morning as he was praying in the first service, and he was talking about the sufficiency of God, and he was praying about God's sufficiency. And he was praying that, and I'm going, yeah, yeah, it's easy for Christians. Yeah, we'll exalt God up and exalt Him. But you know what we have a tendency to do? We start exalting ourselves in relationship to our sufficiencies within and of ourselves. But think about Paul's statement. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Wow. What is he trying to say there? No longer I who live. I, 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 I. Big word. No longer I who live. Well, 2 Corinthians 5.16, we recognize no one any longer according to the flesh. The past, or not, not just the past. Flesh is not necessarily just past. In fact, Scripture defines flesh in six different ways. In Philippians, you see this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, and also Philippians chapter 3, verse like verses 3 through following. When he starts defining flesh, how you and I can live, it, it's no longer I who live, that should be the truth, but the reality is uh, we live. We try to live. We live. The whole goal is not we live, Jesus lived. We'll get that in a second. But how do we live? 
in the flesh. We recognize ourselves flesh. We see her in the flesh. And what is flesh? One or physical body. Philippians 1.21. Live as Christ, die as gain, live on in the flesh. It's talking about physical body. What happens? The biggest battle against I see happening to college students, girls and guys, girls, that you will see yourself and recognize yourself according to the flesh. Have that identity. You want to live according to how your physical body looks. That's where you get your confidence. That's what Philippians 3 talks about. If anybody puts confidence in the flesh, I am more. In other words, you put confidence in there. What's your, how you, how, what's your confidence going to be is in relationship to a, a guy you're trying to, a uh, guy or a girl? Is it how your physical body looks or what's going on in the spirit? Physical body. Second one is, is race or heritage. You know, when we, go to, when we go on mission trips, where's your confidence? Where's our confidence? Is it because we're an American or is it because you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Three. Paul talks about, as, uh, uh, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. In other words, he had his Ph.D. in religion. Paraphrase. In other words, my qualifications. Am I qualified? Is that my source of confidence? How about the next one? It says, as to zeal, as a persecuted church. In other words, he's talking about, he's talking about his abilities. Is Scott's confidence when he stands up to lead worship because he can play a guitar? Or is it, Lord, I, it's just going to have to be you. It's going to have to be you. If you don't show up, we're going to be embarrassed. Or is it if there's a possibility of being embarrassed, or would he just put confidence in how he could play the guitar? Me, same thing. I mean, it's going to have to be, is it my ability to teach that I'll have my have confidence in? It's easy to do, y'all. Jerry, you can get things done on the construction site. And you've been taught to work your butt off. Got to get it done. Hard work, that's nothing wrong with that. It's not truth. But, I mean, that's truth. Hard work's truth. Proverbs. But is that his point of confidence? Abilities. Performance. As to the law found blameless. In other words, law means standards. In other words, you can perform. Give you something to perform, and you'll do it. Or in the other one is another identity of flesh like we already spoke. Was how do you see yourself living out of, out of those resources? Another thing that Paul talked about was no longer living out of your own dreams. What do you, why do you live? And here's the thing. Is think, how you think about what is your goal? Where are you headed? What are you living to? It's no longer I who live. Well, the good thing to see if it's you living or not, what are you living to? Paul makes a statement in Acts 20, 24, and you all heard me speak it before, where Paul says he's bound in spirit on his way to Jerusalem, knowing that bonds and afflictions await him there. And he goes on to say, he says, I, know, I, I do not consider my life as dear to myself. My life, my life is dear to myself in order that I may finish my ministry and course which I have received from the Lord. In other words, what are you living to? Is it your wants, your dreams, your passions? Then this may be you or I living. This last week I had to, God really birthed this passage into me and that's why it came out. I think it came out this morning. We started off during the week, and uh, you have all of a sudden the, the kids, I mean, the students that were there, those 10 to 14-year-olds were there, and awesome. We would preach, and we would speak, and they would respond. I mean, they would respond, and they would start pouring their hearts out, and, I mean, they would just flood the altar, and, and uh, 
But when they would start pouring their hearts out, the normal thing that we'll see is, is God just coming in and just, woo, just totally just comforting. And, and we weren't seeing it. Come Wednesday, Pam and BJ, Pam, BJ McDonald and Pam, formerly Waters, uh, I just got with them on Wednesday night. I'm going, y'all, there's something up. I'm saying, right. And I said, we got sin in the place. And so I said, Pam, BJ, let's, let's get together, with count, get the counselors up early, and we're going to have a meeting at 7.15, which is, they're up all night with the kids. But it's, it's, that's an opportunity to see flesh when we start getting them up earlier than what's supposed to be. But, but it was so cool. The counselors just responded. We show up there, and, and we says, okay, we got a deal, y'all. And so all of a sudden, the counselors start confessing things with one another. Awesome. They're really just showing a lot of character and integrity, confessing bitternesses, judgments, all kind of crazy, I mean, cool things pouring their hearts out. And in this, the Lord was showing me that, Rick, uh, uh, what will happen is when I get ministered to do it, it's so easy to slide into my resources to do it. And you'd see kids hurting, and you know that it would, within you, in and of yourself, there was not the resources that could touch that hurt. Oh, and it's so frustrating. It's many times frustrating here on Sunday morning. I look out here and I see your faces and I'm going, uh, Lord, there's, there's somebody that's major league hurting. Oh, Holy Ghost, come touch. And it's so easy in these services. We just worry about making things pretty and communicate. And but the reality is we just want the power of God to show up. And, and the Lord just really started putting me and says, uh, Rick, I mean, in my heart, it's, it's no longer I who live. And I'm going, God, these kids don't need Rick Sizemore. We got together and we started repenting, all of us sharing different things and confessing. And what well, it wasn't ours, it wasn't us. And it's all got to do about Jesus, any judgments, bitterness, or anything that we were entertaining. And uh, y'all, interesting, that morning we preached. Next thing you know, the power of God comes. You don't have to drum it up, it just comes. Next problem we got is, is we have to get kids out of there. Well, we have to have the golf cart to carry kids to the, the cafeteria. And then you have to have a golf cart to get them out. Because why? They're, I don't think is, I don't know we need to think about whether we're taking them to the cafeteria or not. They, most of the time they're too drunk to eat. Because God has touched them. You know, he, the, he brings the captive ones back and he fills their mouths with laughter, Psalm 126. And so God heals. And God just put on my heart and said, Rick, it's not of you. It's not of you. And I resolved in my heart, and I'll share this with you a little bit later, is that what God was putting on my heart, I, I just believe, I say, Lord, if somebody touches me, uh, I don't want it to be me that they get to, they touch. I want it to be you. And I want them to be you. And, uh, and so that's where no longer I who live, and that's where we resolve on this. Y'all, in 2 Corinthians 3, I want to show you this. What's the application in this? That we've got to come to the belief. Look at this in 2 Corinthians 3. So awesome. The belief. Got to get this, y'all. The belief within ourselves in 3. It says, and such confidence we have toward, through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider 
anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Get this, y'all. I cannot come to a place that I think anything comes from me, but my adequacy to do anything comes from God. Well, guess what, y'all? That means that there is nothing impossible. Because there is nothing impossible to those who believe. Because why? There's no adequacy in me. Now, if I can, I can hold on to that, my adequacy to do, but y'all, it gets, it shows up. It'll show. You know what the fruit is? Nothing. Or flesh. Or trouble. But the cool thing is my adequacy is not in myself. I mean, it's reality whether I know it or not or whether I walk in it or not. So the goal is, for I've been crucified, my past is done, I deal with my self-sufficiency, it's no longer me, but it's what? Paul says, but it's of Christ to what? Lives in me. How oh, awesome, man. Think about that, y'all. Now, y'all, we all know this, us good Bible-believing Christians, we know this real well, but be careful you don't hear this and miss it all. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? For you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. God himself dwells him. God himself dwells here. Get that. God himself dwells in it. Ephesians 1, 8, 19, and 20. Him dwelling in you. And one of the prayers Paul makes in Ephesians 1, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open, that you have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge. And he goes on, the hope of his calling, seeing the riches of his inheritance saints. And he says this, the exceedingly great power to those who believe. Same power, that, the paraphrase is, that raised Jesus from the dead. You know why Satan's afraid of you? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and got him whooped one time is in you and me. It's in me. Woo! Yeah. Because why? 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is what? In me than what? He that is in the what? World. Right after that, 5-4, whatever is born of God does what? Overcomes the world. Wow. The greater one in me empowers me to overcome the world. There's nothing in this world that you cannot overcome. question is, we're going to walk in it. This is the prayer that, like I spoke in earlier with you and me. Christ in me. 1 Corinthians 12. Was it 12, 15, 12, 27? No. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Ah, y'all. My body, my, me, is part of the body of Jesus. I may be a toe, but y'all, that don't make any difference. I'm part of Jesus. And I know this. Part of Jesus was touched by a woman who had an issue of blood, and she was healed. And that's where I prayed. I'm going, this week I'm going, Jesus, my prayer is, if somebody touches me, it will be as if Jesus himself was touched by them. Fill me with your presence so much. Because you know what's happening is, there's too many times when I'm touching people or they're touching me, they're getting Rick instead of Jesus. Or if words come out of my mouth, they're getting more of Rick than they are of Jesus. And the results are obvious. But the goal, man, the awesome reality is not the goal. It's not a goal. It's a reality in you and I that Jesus is in us. 
we're part of the body of Christ. And y'all remember the woman had to issue of blood? She didn't touch the toe of Jesus. She didn't really get that close. She got what? Him of his garment. Oh, glory. Just to, just to be Christ lives in you. Let that just totally just transfix our confidence. I'm walking into this place. Jesus, it's you. It's you. Peter's shadow. Oh, yeah. Early, early church, so powerful. They're walking along. They're so full of Jesus. It's Christ in them. You remember when Peter heals the guy at the gate? Beautiful. Ain't nothing in us, no potty, nor power, anything in of ourselves that's made this man well. It's faith in the name of Jesus has caused this man to walk. They operate in such that their sufficiency was just Jesus that, like Mark said, they walk along. Their shadow brought life in healing. High glory. Sufficiency in Jesus. Get this passage in Colossians chapter 2, verse, verse 9 and 10. And 2 9. Get this, it's in steps. For in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. This is Jesus. In him, Jesus, all the fullness dwells in bodily form. That's why Jesus operated so much power. All the fullness of who God the Father was and the Holy Spirit were in him. Somebody touches him, or Jesus touched them, or spoke to them. Guess what? They got all the fullness of God. But here's the cool thing it don't stop there. In him, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And what does it say in 2.10? For in him you have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. In him you've been made complete. Okay, in him all the fullness of the body dwells in bodily form. In him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And then in him I have been made complete. All the fullness of who God is plus Jesus gets in Leah. In him, Jesus, Leah, does not lack. There's no lack. There's no lack. The only time that Leah will get goofed up, not the only time, but, but it's when Leah, and I know Leah, sorry, I'm using you as an example here, but she'll try to figure things out in relation to what's wrong with her. And there's, there's a legitimacy of laying stuff aside. And that's what will happen to us. Satan will, will get us focused on our, our, our inadequacies, our lack. <laughs> well, bless God, we've got what? Lack. And I've got to speak this. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, the past. Do not consider anything as coming from ourselves. No longer I live, Christ who lives in me. But you know what it says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? It says this. For we have a sentence of death within ourselves that we cannot trust in ourselves. You hear that? There's a sentence of death in us. Why? Because we cannot lean on us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 5. Oh, I'm sorry. Not 5. I'm sorry. I struck it wrong. 4, 4, 11 and, and 1, 
9. I got it, 2 Corinthians 1 9 and 4 11. So, y'all, the awesome coolness of this is God has put this treasure in earthen vessels. The only thing we got to do is be free of not worrying about if I get the glory or not. I heard a guy talking about praying for people who are sick. If you just pray for people who are sick, if you're not worried about whether they're going to get healed or not, if you're not worried about getting the glory, let God do it. He'll do the stuff. So anyway, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live. It's Jesus who lives in me. Okay, question is, when? The life I now live in the flesh. What is that? You know, if you'll notice in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 following, where it talks about the outer man is wasting away, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. And it goes on to say, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary. Things that are not seen are eternal in the heavens. See, y'all, this life in the flesh is temporary, and we've got to get our mindset on that. This is temporary. This is not it. It's a temporary existence. The life in the flesh. The life in the flesh. And, and the, Lord, the, the Lord was speaking to me about this. Is about the life in the flesh. There's a difference. There's two Greek words. Every time I think about this, I think of Catherine. The two types of life, bios life, life and zoe life. I don't know why. It's just, you were teaching and speaking this about to me. I mean, we were interacting about why in my head about it. That's what God will do. He'll attach passages of scriptures to, to me about in relationship to people. But notice this, the life in the flesh. That's interesting. That's the Greek word zoe, life in the spirit. The zoe life in the spirit. I mean in the flesh. It's like a so what I was saying a while ago, contradiction. Flesh, mindset on the flesh is death, but this life in the flesh. But the reality is, like I already said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And this treasure in earthen vessels. And, and all of a sudden, what is the, the Zoe existence is, like it says in Colossians 3, where it says, I have died and my life is hidden with Christ in God. Life is in Christ. That's eternal life. But y'all, don't think of eternal life as quantity of life. Think about it as quality of life. Zoe life. Out of your must being shall flow what? Rivers of what? Living water. That's Zoe life that God's is act, access for us. Where you see be not drunk wine where it's excess but be what? Fill with the spirit. Zoe life. Now y'all, interesting thing to me. This life in the flesh is a Zoe life not a bios life. In fact, if you would look with me in this passage in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. The parable of the seed and the sower. And you may have probably heard me speak this before. But what are we talking about this Zoe life? I'm hearing a voice. Is that Jesus? Oh. It's close. Brian. That's right. You crucified. You bet Brian said, well, you crucified in Christ. You're a candidate for allow the Zoe life to to work, to move, to live in it. But y'all, watch this bios life. Watch this in 8.14. The seed which fell among thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on the way, they're choked. Watch this, y'all. The seed was choked out by the worries, the riches, and the pleasures of bios. And notice what it says. And it says, and brings no fruit to maturity. 
Y'all, the life I now live in the flesh, if I live a Zoe life, is life in the spirit. But what will happen is Satan will try to get us perplexed and caring about bios life. Bios life, existence in the biological, the riches, the worries, and the pleasures of this life will choke this, and this bias existence will hinder the Zoe life. Oh, Jesus. I could go some places. <laughs> and all of us, we get... <laughs> How many intern classes have we had down the years talking about whether it's right to drink or not? Can we say bios? Riches, worries, pleasures of bios. Choke out the word. So the life I live in the flesh, I live not to the, to the, to the bios existence, worried about whether the bill gets paid or what. Or, you know, they, I mean, really, y'all heard it. I'm going to speak something, in, and I'm not speaking this to anybody, so please don't anybody just proceed with that. But I'm just, it's just in my heart to say this. Y'all remember Jennifer Toledo Miller? Miller Toledo? Remember a young college student coming out from college? She meets the guy. She thinks it's it. And, well, it wasn't out after college. It was before college, I think, wasn't it? Met him during college. Awesome man of God. Awesome things. Life. But God says, No. And here she's lonely, miserable. I mean, I mean, nobody around. I mean, I don't mean she was miserable. She wasn't. She didn't share that testimony. But it was tough and hard. And she could have worried about the bios existence. Oh, I want to have somebody. But she forsook that and ended up in the backwoods of Africa. Going, that's where the Zoe life existence is in the middle of Africa. Jesus, come on. And there's Zoe life bore fruit in her life, and things happened. And uh, things, y'all know the rest of the story about what happened in Jennifer Toledo's life. The life we now live in the flesh. I'll get caught up here by us, but Zoe life. Let's go on to the next thing. The life we now live in the flesh, we live by what? Faith. Live by faith. Now, interesting thing here. Uh, Ron, I did double-check this thing in the Greek. Uh, this is Ron and I thing. It, it's live by faith in, and there's a type of noun it is. That's Ron and I think. Sorry, Ron and I just talking about this. It is accurate translated there that way. But there's other ones that speak that what you spoke. We were speaking. Ron was just looking in the Greek straight up. Anyway, sorry about that. But, uh, Live by faith, live by faith. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Now, this is going to be a little bit of review for some of you, but I just got to do it to make sure we're all on the same page. The life I now live in the flesh, I have to live by faith. And the faith is assurance of things hoped for and what? The evidence of things what? Not seen. That's got to be a man or woman that's living not according to what you see. 
Okay? And so, and it goes on in what? Faith. Faith's the noun. What are the two verbs? Believe and trust. Let's start with trust. You see it in your notes there? I live by faith. I live by faith. Righteous man lives by faith. You know, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And in Hebrews 10, it goes and it says, the righteous man lives by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. God's saying, I'm not having fun with you. In other words, God has fun when we're living by faith. In fact, y'all, by the way, that's the word for grace, joy, expressed. Grace, that's when God gives us grace is when we're living in faith. That's where the grace life is, is a life of faith. And, but anyway, that's the, that's the noun. Faith is a noun. The two verbs are trust. When do you trust? The Hebrew word batak. You trust when you do not have a word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean in your what? Think about that. Do not lean what? In your understanding? Uh, what is it? I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who, no longer I who live. You don't lean in your own understanding. You can't see it. You can't figure it out. And it freaks you out. Called losing control, can we say? It's a weird feeling. Live by faith. Trust. Trust. When you don't have a word, you trust. What do you trust in? What do you do? Trust, uh, uh, the word trust, but talk Hebrew means attach oneself to. Stand up, Aaron. It's this picture that I always use, and y'all seen me do it before. Attach oneself to. When you don't have a word, you trust. You, what do you trust with? Your heart. Here I'm using the illustration, my hand, but it's your heart. It, with the heart, one believes, resulting in righteousness. Thanks. So you, don't, that's right. Don't trust in, trust in men. So you're not attaching yourself to anyone. That's a good word. You're not atta- you attach yourself, your heart to the Lord. In what specific facet of the Lord? Psalms 9:10. Those who know your name will put their trust in thee. His what? His what? Name means what? Nature and character. So this life I'm living, I live by faith. One of the ways I'm trusting. It's a trust life. Every morning, y'all. Trust. Trust. In fact, the majority of the life is in a trust life. Because you don't, most of the time, we don't have words when we wake up in the morning. And you wake up in the morning immediately. That's why David declares in Psalm 92, In the morning I declare thy faithfulness at night. I mean, in the morning I declare thy loving kindness, and at night thy faithfulness. In the morning David would arise and he start declaring the loving kindness of God. Because why? Two chapters before that he says, Psalm 90 verse 14, Oh, satisfy me in the morning with thy loving kindness, that I may sing for joy and be glad all my days. So in the morning, he's saturating himself, he's trusting, he's focusing on the character of God. Because why? He gets the happy pill. He sings for joy in what? He's glad all his days. But also in Psalm 33, where it says, The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for, long for his loving kindness. In other words, he began his morning and looking, saying, Satisfy him with the loving kindness of the Lord. Oh, Lord, your loving kindness has never ceased. That's what Jeremiah did. Remember? He starts, he was without hope, and he says, This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. What did he do? Thy compassions, what? Never fail. Your loving kindnesses, no, no, no. Your compassions are new every morning. Thy loving kindnesses never cease. Great is thy, what? 
faithfulness. So Jeremiah's in the midst of adversity. He's attaching, excuse me, <laughs> Shamu here, <laughs> splash zone. Who did put that in the seats here? <laughs> Holy water. <laughs> Holy water. <laughs> Fill them with Jesus. I, you know, Jesus spit on people's eyes and healed them, brother. Did you feel a little weak? <laughs> it worked. Oh, glory. Keep going, okay. What was I talking about? <laughs> Jeremiah, yeah. Well, anyway, trust. Trust. What's the other one of faith? Believe. Believe Amon means to make firm, just like I'm holding this microphone. You make it firm. You hold it. You hold it fast. It's like Peter walking on the water. He says, Jesus, if it is you, command me to come to you. He said, come. He gives him the word. He holds it fast. Oh, he's walking on water. He's doing the impossible, seeing the wind and the waves. He what? Starts to sink. You coming to rebuke me? No. But anyway, so he's, he's in that place. He's in that place. A life of either trust, a life of believing. And y'all, get this now. I've been crucified with Christ. It's the past sufficiency. It's no longer I. It's Christ who lives in me. The life I'm living in the flesh, how I'm going to do it? I wake in the morning and I live by faith. Faith, how? Trusting or believing in his character. I mean, trusting in his character, believing in a word. I want to say this, y'all, and you've heard me say it, and it's true for me. If I get up in the morning, I, I don't think I'm any different than y'all. I know if I get up in the morning and I do not start trusting or believing and make a conscious choice to trust or believe in God, can we say cooked by the end of the day? And Paula has to deal with it. And Paula says, <laughs> be glad we're quiet, Tim. And that's the reality. Life with life, I live by faith. Very simple, y'all. Just get messed up on Jesus and his character. And when he says something, believe it. But the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. <sighs> faith. Faith is only as strong as the object in which you put it. Interesting thing. Muslims, though they have exercise faith, they have faith. Faith only comes by hearing a word. They may hear the Quran. They hear a word there. question is, what's the object of their faith? Is it sure, steadfast? Interesting thing. The, the Muslim may say, oh, God, boy, he'll get you. You don't believe. Hum, yeah, jack you, all this kind of stuff. Why can I believe trust? It's interesting to me it responds this way. Get that. He says, who, let's see, live by faith in the Son of God who what? who died, who, lo is it loved? Loved me and gave himself up for me. That's interesting to me. That it uses that in that context. How many of y'all can finish this statement? It says, um, cast all your cares upon what? Him. What's next to the rest of it? For he what? Cares for you. The Greek word there for cares, cast all your cares for him, that's the Greek word for worry. It means divided thoughts. Cast all your divided thoughts on him. Why? He cares for you. In other words, he cares about you. There's nothing that helps you focus anymore than knowing without a shadow of a doubt that you got the creator of all the universe going a good God that just gets excited about loving us. He delights in exercising loving kindness. So much, he died 
and gave himself up. That's interesting, y'all. Look at that. He died. To me, that would be giving him up, giving it up, wouldn't it? But you know, the interesting thing was, isn't that? He just didn't die. He gave us everything that he had received from the Father. All things which the Father has are mine. And I say, he, the Holy Spirit, will take of mine and disclose it to you. Tell me that ain't the most awesome big brother it ever was. He could have hoarded it for himself, but guess what he does? He gives it to us. His soul, if you'll notice in the notes there, the Lord really put this in my heart. Realizing and believing that he gave all so that we might receive all. If you would, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I close with this. You know, uh, why is it? I picked on the crew that went to CFO last week. I like your hat, Brian. That is really cool. That's a dad. I like that. But, I mean, why is it we can go to CFO or, and we can go and, uh, and God just messes us up? Why is it we can go to a youth conference and God messes us up? And then sometimes when we come on Sunday morning church, it's just a struggle to get here and get the worship done and get in here and get out. Why is the difference? You know what's the difference? It's because you got a week to just totally not live to ourselves, but to what? To him. But watch this. He died and gave himself up for us. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this. One died for all, therefore all died. That's what Brian was speaking earlier. One died for all, therefore all died. Watch this. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Get this. He didn't die so we could die. He died, well, he died so that we could die, but he died so that we could die so that we could what? Live. The goal is to live. The whole thing is what are we living to? And that summarizes this whole scenario. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, not, not my adequacy. Christ who lives in me, this life and this temporary fleshly existence and not be distracted by bios. I live by faith, a life of faith, not operating in the things you see, in the one who died and gave it all up for us. If he gave it all up for us, let us also what? Just live to him. Why is that? Because we get in a place that all week long, all we want to do is see the face of Jesus. Lord God, let it be that we go to work, saturate the place, that all I want to do is see Jesus and what I'm doing. Whether it's work or play, there's no, I just want to say this to y'all. Some people go, one guy's accused me, they're going, Rick, you're just too intense. And I'm going, is there anything else except Jesus? And as a pastor, it told me, it says, Rick, just relax sometime. I'm going, why? 
I mean, that's all there is. I don't minister because that's what I do. I just, I just want to see Jesus. Just live to him, live to him, live to him. Live to him. Whether it's working for ATS or putting up with Rick Sizemore at church. Live to him. Well, I just, uh, we want to just minister into people because ministering to you in some ways. Maybe some of you doesn't know Jesus, your Lord and Savior. Well, you can come into that place. Or some of you may be tired and weary, and it's okay because God says, uh, if you need some help, folks, and that's one of the things we did earlier, I surrender all. Also, some of you, like I said, you may be tired and willing. I just There's this feeling, there's this thought of us really just praying, praying for people, just praying for them to be filled with God's presence. Y'all, can we, can we just resolve something in our hearts as dwelling placers? What is our name? Dwelling Place Christian Fellowship. You ever, you ever, you ever pondered why that name? Because what it, the whole heart is is that all we want to be is a place where the Father dwells. Because we come to the sure conviction there's no better thing than just dwelling with the Father. Live to Him. So let's pray. Father, we just thank You. We just thank You for You. God, it's just so cool to just have a God that is so awesome. Lord, You are good. You paid the price so that we could come freely out of the world, Lord. And Lord... You paid the price so that we could come out of it, but then you paid the price so that we could freely receive the things from God. Lord, we thank you that we do not have to pay the price except just, just to seek you. Lord, just to fight off the, the cares and the worries and the riches and the distractions of this world. We have to diligently go against the flow to see you. So, Lord, we just want you. Lord, we want to be in that place. And I confess over all of us who know you as our Lord and say, we have been crucified with Christ. I want to pray, Lord, that for the doubts about the past, for any of us in here, we declare that it is the past is past. And I speak in Jesus' name. There's no condemnation for the past and we say it's free. Lord, we'd also declare this, that it's not longer I, we who live, Lord. So, Father, forgive us for trying to live in and of our own resources and trying to survive, trying to parent or be a husband or wife, Lord, or trying to do whatever, Lord, trying to hold on to the things, unforgiveness, anger, bitterness. is where we've lived in the flesh in the past, Lord, and it's hindering and, and holding us the living to ourselves and out of ourselves to hold on. But, Lord, you're telling us to grab a hold of you. It's you who live in us, where you perfectly love, you cast out fear. In that love, Lord, where they were reviled, they did not, when, they, when you were reviled, you did not revile in return. When suffering, you uttered no threats, but you kept entrusting yourself to the one who judges righteously. And Lord, I just sense that some people in here are trying to live their self. They're holding on to the things of the past in relationship to other people. So, Father, you, you to live to you, Lord, you got to just grab a hold of you, and you can't hold grudges, and you can't hold unforgiveness. You can't hold bitterness and anger and hold on to you, Lord. So, Father, we speak release in the name of Jesus. Or hold on to past 
the sins or lust of the flesh, our desires, our wants. Lord, we can't hold on to those and hold on to you. So, Father, we just live to you. And, Lord, we thank you, Lord. We live in, you've given us opportunity to live in this existence to declare your goodness from one generation to the next. I thank you for that baby crying, Lord. Declaring your goodness from one generation to the next. And, Father, we just thank you that your son died and gave himself up. And, Lord, if there's anybody in here that does not know you as our Lord and Savior, oh, Lord, receive freedom from sin, freedom from pain and sorrow, Lord. So, Father, we thank you, and I speak blessings, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.